Hi guys, my name's Adele Onyango and welcome to another episode of Legally Clueless. No, seriously, I have no clue what I'm doing, but I'm pretty sure I'm not the only one. Another week means we are closer to Christmas. In fact, we're about six weeks away from Christmas. Yeah, I'm so excited, so excited. Mainly because like, and I've told you this in other episodes, my late mom made Christmas such a big event for us and I always loved it. We would have a tree, the entire house would be decorated, the front door, even the gates. Yeah, so even like right now we live in an apartment, but our front door normally has a wooden plaque that says home sweet home but it changes real quick to christmas decorations (laughs) oh my god i think my husband must be looking at me like i'm a mad woman because as soon as diwali is done because my husband is indian i'm like all right on to the next (laughs) time to celebrate jesus So I went to Car for this past week because I told you I was looking for a healthy looking Christmas tree. And Carrefour is a leading supermarket chain in Kenya. And when I walked in, I was like, this is strange. Like, why am I not seeing any Christmas decorations? Y'all don't even look like you're prepared. What's happening? So I go into the section where I thought they would stock the Christmas trees and I didn't see any. So I stopped one of the staff members. I'm like, yo where the Christmas trees, this guy dead ass was looking at me with the most blank (laughs) look in his face. So I'm like, yo, Christmas, December, Christmas trees, where are they? And then after a lot of back and forth with his confusion, he calls another colleague of his who says, oh no, the Christmas trees have arrived, but we haven't gone to the stock and they're going to be out on display on Wednesday. I'm like, great. Um, But I have another question. He's like, okay. Are they healthy looking? Are they full? This guy was so confused. He's like, Madam, I just think you should come on Wednesday. (laughs) You just come. I will check it out on Wednesday. But thank you to everybody who sent me ideas on where I can get a full Christmas tree in Nairobi. Gloria on Instagram, he said I should check out Odds and Ends or Furniture Palace. So I definitely will do that at some point this week. Also, I was thinking about... Christmas, especially for those who have lost loved ones to something as permanent as death. And those loved ones were a huge presence for them in the Christmas traditions they had. So I'm like thinking about my first Christmas without my mom. It was just my sisters and I. And I mean, we had a great time. My, the middleborn, the one I follow, Amanda, you know, she loves cooking. So she cooked up a storm. Um, And we just ate the whole day and had wine, chocolate cake, (laughs) bacon, like everything was on the table. And we watched hilarious Nigerian movies. And I loved that the way my mom brought us up, we have each other. So as much as it was very clear that, you know, mommy wasn't there and it was emotionally different, I love that we still had and have each other to date um and i realized that's a privilege that maybe not everybody else has and so my heart goes out to everyone who's lost somebody who is a very present force during the holiday time especially christmas because it's the one that's really like all about family you kind of have to grieve 
and get enough strength to kind of redesign what your holiday tradition is going to look like. And that just takes so much energy. Yeah, so check on your friends. Check on your friends as, you know, even as I'm so excited counting down to Christmas, I think it's very important to check on your friends who, yeah, Christmas has changed dramatically for them. I also had a moth performance on Tuesday. The moth is all about storytelling. And so I was hosting the main stage that had five storytellers from Kenya, Zambia, and Cameroon. And it went so well. I was so nervous about it because, as you know, last week I had such overwhelmingly dark, hopeless thoughts. I really haven't experienced such a darkness in a long, long time. And so rehearsing for the month's performance was so draining and it was so hard. But I'm so happy I pulled it off. I'm also happy my husband was in the audience. It's his first time watching me perform at the Moth. Yeah, it went really well, guys. Yeah, so you know how they say you should celebrate all your wins. I did definitely celebrate that one. And I'm still on a high on it from that time. And I really love the Moth. They create a space where you as a creative, you feel so welcomed, so appreciated, so well taken care of. Especially now that I'm very mindful of toxic workspaces. <laughs> so when I get into spaces that are far from toxic, that are very nice and warm and appreciative and really want to grow you, I'm just like, thank you so much because, you know, it could be worse. I'm also doing a university tour with Legally Clueless, collecting 100 African stories. So y'all know I went to Meru, um, university a couple of weeks ago and I'll just be dropping the stories from there every so often. Yeah, so I went to Yosayu and recorded a couple of stories and the one that I'm going to share today really reminded me a lot of just things that I may have taken for granted and have may have felt entitled to even though I wasn't. I also went to USIU. I finished USIU in 2013. Um, but before I even get to uni, I went to high school in Botswana. So I did my primary school here in Nairobi. And then I went to Botswana for my high school. Reason being, my mom had just lost her job. She had a fairly stable job at the Agricultural Finance Corporation. She was doing really well. Um, she was one of the heads in terms of finance and accounting. And then when she got breast cancer, there was politics at work. Obviously, I was pretty young and they sheltered me from all of that. But long story short, my mom lost her job. And this was a time when she was battling breast cancer. So I can only imagine like what this woman was going through. And she still always had a smile and was always there for us, be it PTA, Parents Teachers Association. So meetings in school, our swimming galas, because um, myself and one of my other sisters swam competitively. So we had swimming galas like every weekend. She was still picking us up from swimming training every evening. Like just going above and beyond even when she was facing such heavy challenges, right? And so I went to Botswana around that time because my auntie there, who's my mom's sister, was a teacher in a school in Botswana. And so me moving there would make things easier for my mom because she had just lost her job. And also she was going through a divorce with my dad. And it wasn't one of those 
fine, calm divorces of, yeah, we shouldn't be together. Yeah, 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 we agree. It was nasty. So I guess she just thought it was better for me to be away from all of that so that I could really focus on school. Yes, I went to Botswana. I came back. My mom was heading the Kenya Breast Health Program, which was creating awareness around breast cancer and helping pay for treatment for a lot of breast cancer um, patients. Well, some of them are survivors to date, we thank God. Um, but at the time, they were they were patients. And yeah, then I went to IB. But even just looking back, and before I play the story that I'm going to share today, even just looking back, I'm like, wow, I wasn't really conscious of my mother's struggle. I just thought it was automatic to have things like roof over our heads, food, we've never missed a meal, school fees paid for. But I, I don't know, I... I before getting into university, I don't think I was really conscious of it, which I guess you could say is okay for a person my age. I was what? By the time I, when I came back, I was 15. But I now in hindsight, and especially after listening to the story that is on 100 African Stories in this episode, I'm like, wow, my mom was actually battling with a lot. So when I was going into uni, I really didn't want to go into uni, but uh, in an African home, please, you are going. (laughs) And it was while in uni that I got my first radio job. But still, she was still going through chemo and radiotherapy if when needed because the cancer kept coming back. And it was around 2012, my mom was battling cancer on and off. And I was still showing up for work. So now I had this radio gig. I was doing a drive time show on 1FM in Nairobi, Kenya. And I was still going to school as well. And as much as I had friends, I don't think I ever opened up to my friends in uni about how petrified I was at the time. I was, I think 2012, I was, I was so scared that I was going to lose my mom. And I guess the only person at the time that I opened up to was the guy that I was dating at the time. And I remember crying so many times, crying so many times, like bursting into tears outside the gate of our house. Because I thought if I can just finish these tears outside and then go in looking okay, so I'll have red eyes, but (laughs) going looking okay, um, I wouldn't have to explain about how scared I was that I was going to lose my mom. Maybe subconsciously, when I think about it, I may have known that my mom fought until she was sure we were okay. And by we, I mean my two sisters and I. And so me being so close to finishing school, maybe subconsciously, because of that, I was like, oh God, um, I still want this woman to fight. But I think 2012 was also the year that I once saw my mom very weak. She had come home. The chemo had some form of side effects. I can't remember what exactly. And I remember her coming home and I was upstairs. So we lived in a two-story house. I was upstairs and she called. She was at the foot of the stairs and she called, called, called my name. And I was taking, I don't know why I was taking a long time to go to her. And when I got to her, she was like visibly irritated, so, which was strange for her. Those who knew my mom knew like 
constantly calm and stuff. You needed to really do a lot to get her pissed off with you. And she needed help climbing the stairs. And I remember just thinking, this, I don't know, like, that was something that I'd not seen in the over 10 years she had been fighting cancer. And it was around that same time that one of her friends who happens to a doctor, who happens to be a doctor, came to visit her, I think the next day or a day after, but I'd rather think the next day. And we were all in school. And I don't know, she probably saw something. I Maybe it's that same difference in how my mom was operating and so she didn't rush my mom to hospital yeah 20 (laughs) i think 2012 was just not a good year i've never really reflected on it until i recorded this story and it took me back into uni and i was going through like okay from high school to uni to graduation and my mom dying was so pivotal that Come 2013 March, when she passed away, I didn't even attend my own graduation because, I mean, graduation was about two, three months after my mom had passed away. And yeah, I was just not about to be around people with their parents and looking happy and everything. Me having just come back from burying my mom. So my sisters took me out for dinner to celebrate. But yeah, I think it's sad that I didn't speak to my campus friends about even where my mind was at the time. I mean, I'm still friends with like three or four of them now. So of course we can have, thank God, we can have more open conversations now. But at the time, I guess that's why I found my campus experience to be pretty lonely because I was dealing with all of this shit. And it's like when I get to the campus gates, I have to leave those bags outside, go in, get my work done, turn up and party then go back to the gate, pick up my emotional baggage and go back home to where I'm scared out of my mind that my mom's going to die. The reason I was sharing that is because when I went to USIU this time to record 100 African stories, when this particular girl, Michelle, when she was waiting to tell a story and even when she came up and took the storytelling seat, I did not expect her to share that she was facing such a heavy battle and she's only 19. A hundred African stories. There is no proper life that you live in university as a musician. If I constantly just walked around feeling sorry for myself, I'm never going to get anything done. Uh, there was a bit of frustration in between all of that. I've been breaking my back for this company. Therapy is not for the weak or for the crazy. Stories from Africa. My name is Michelle Kimani. I am from Raqqa, Kenya. I am a first year student at USIU, Africa. Mm-hmm. So I have three siblings, our older half-sister, my two younger brothers, and we're all teenagers. Mm-hmm. So my sister's the oldest. She's in her 20s, and we're all in that adolescent space. It's a very different experience when you're all in the same age group. There's a lot of fights. There's a lot of back and forth. There's a lot of also just bonding because you understand each other's experiences. So that's my family. And then at school, it's mostly... I have this really ambitious targets for myself. So I came actually into university with really high ambitions for myself because, one, I couldn't get into university the first time when I was applying because of finances. And also my dad kept telling me that if you start university and you fail especially your GPA, it would be so hard for you to raise it in your second year, third year. So I have this crazy ambition to maintain a 4.0 GPA throughout my university life. And 
so far, thankfully. I've been able to do that for my first two semesters. So I'm just that girl who likes participating in extracurricular activities, who tries to be on top of her academics, who tries to be on top of her family. My mom is currently the main source of like income in our family, and she has a catering business. So actually right now I'm not really in session for school, mostly again because of finances. So my mom has a catering business and she really requires our help, especially since African parents do view children as labor that you don't really pay for. So there's a lot of help that goes into her work. And even though I'm not in session, I do have responsibilities in my school activities because I'm club leaders in like two different clubs. So I have to, at the same time, maintain my mom's work but also make sure that my responsibilities are filled in whatever I've committed to in school. It was honestly a very hard moment for myself in my life because, again, I was that student who was doing all extracurriculars. I was doing, making sure my grades on top, so I was making sure I was eligible for scholarships and everything. Mm -hmm. Even last semester, I was almost about to not be in session, mm -hmm. so I had to fight to apply for a scholarship because my parents were kind of in the, why do it? Mm -hmm. Right? Why do it if we don't have the money? So I remember I was really fighting to get money for my fees because my parents couldn't. So I participated in these conferences and I did activities hoping that I could be able to do my fees. And there were a lot of people who were willing to help me cover the semester. The only problem was last semester's balance was too huge mm -hmm. for one person to be like, I will clear it. And it was so last minute. It was a lot of struggles with my parents trying to fight it and because we're like all of us are really as I said we're adolescents mm -hmm. so my brother's in high school so my parents obviously paid priority to him mm -hmm. and then my older sister's about to graduate so they were covered and then me and my brother who are both in USIU we couldn't go through it so it was like honestly it was very heartbreaking when I finally had to accept okay <laughs> I can't go to school mm -hmm. and I think the reason why my experience versus most freshmen is different because I was in school last time Last, in a time like this, I was supposed to be in school, but I couldn't because <laughs> I, why am I crying? It's fine, you can take your time. Um, I went to an IB high school, so we were really taught to be all-rounded, and we were really taught to be all-rounded, so I applied for a bunch of scholarships and I couldn't get in. I was eligible for the scholarships, so I was shortlisted, mm -hmm. but I never got in. So when I finally got to go to school in Jan... <laughs> No, it's okay. It's just um. So I came into university. I was really grateful to be there, and um, a lot of my time before I came was like helping my mom with her business. So I wasn't really interacting with people my age. So when I came here, it's like I really, really loved the opportunity to join a club, to join activities because I got to interact with people my age. Mm -hmm. So that. That's why most of the time when I talk to other freshmen or when even other freshmen see me and they see what I'm doing, they're like, you're just a freshman. Mm -hmm. But they don't realize I really appreciate it. Also, I'm a huge ambassador of this financial program in our school. Mm -hmm. So what I always do is when I was in session, I always encourage people who are in my age group to join activities. Let's go do tree planting. Let's go do this together. Let's go. And it's honestly really rewarding when you do see people who are in your age group and in your year who are actually partaking in activities that you encourage them to do, which is amazing to me. Um, because one of the reasons I work so hard in school, in activities, in extracurricular, and in my academics, because my dad, he's not employed right now, he has a master's from the U.S. He has job experience more than 12 years. Mm. 
And seeing what he's going through made me realize that this is a moment to network with people, to know people, to get in a position where you can be able to start projects. Because honestly, outside, there is no promises. Someone could have a PhD, someone could have a master's, and they don't get a job. And that may be mostly because of how they learn how to interact with people. Mm -hmm. So, like, ever since I joined uni, those are my goals. Maintain your GPA. And honestly, the reason why I'm maintaining such a GPA is so <laughs> so weird. Like, I found out to be valedictorian, you have to have the highest GPA of your grade. Mm -hmm. And when I came into university, I just wanted to have a good GPA. But after hearing that, now I was like, okay, if I want to be valedictorian, I need to maintain my 4.0 throughout. Um, I don't know. Hopefully, I'll be coming back in January but I um because again last year time like this I was supposed to be in school and now I'm not in school so that deja vu that repetition is something I'm very afraid of happening mm -hmm. like I like I don't want to be year in year out in that situation so my goal is come back apply for the scholarships you can do a job when your parents have like kids your age and you have to fill every one of them you just want to like lift the burden Mm. So I do know I'm coming back next semester. I just want to change how I make sure I stay. Um, so for when it comes to scholarships, the school does have scholarships. I actually was able to apply for Educate Your Own, which is when students come together, they raise money, and then you're given like a bit of it, which I'm so grateful for because I'm a huge ambassador. I've been doing workshops for them. I've been presenting to like the university board to get them to come on board. Mm -hmm. Honestly, that was the best moment in my life when I got to do that. But what a lot of scholarships have is they tend to go for very needy applications because even when I was applying for the other scholarships, my mom said, what's the use for the other school scholarships? What's the use? My bank statement shows that there's money coming into our account. Mm -hmm. You get. It's very easy for an international donor to feel for someone who's really needy because mm -hmm. that's even the image of Africa that's portrayed out there. The image of Africa isn't someone who's in the middle class society who is struggling with upkeep, who is struggling with debt, who is struggling with like maintaining all their kids it's a very different image presented so for my case even when I was applying for scholarships it would be harder for me to apply for need-based scholarships because you don't see the need of someone who's gone to an international school if you hear their accent if you hear they're speaking English you're like why do you really need the money so it's much harder for my situation to be able to prove that I am going through a situation that and I really require help because if you look at my parents bank statements it looks like there's money coming in mm -hmm. but that money that's coming in isn't necessarily going in into education. It could be going into their debts. It could be going into their mortgage, especially since a lot of people in middle class have a lot of debt mm -hmm. and have a lot of mortgage and like live check to check. People don't realize that when your parent loses their job, because it was my dad who lost his job, things can just change dramatically because there's a friend of mine who gave me this book called Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and he talks to me a lot and tries to motivate me a lot about how to get out of my situation independently. And he says that we have this blueprint of like living day to day on debt, living from one debt to another. Like, we don't learn how to make debt work for us. We don't learn how to make money work for us. So we end up, when you lose that money, your life just goes into shambles because you don't really invest. Mm -hmm. So, like, my goal is to learn how to invest. Make mistakes now in university because in university you have that space to make mistakes. And then by the time you're finishing university, you should have made, like, 5, 10, 20 mistakes. But by the time you're finishing, you know this is the best way to invest. This is how I should make money work for me. This is how I should avoid getting to, into the rat race. Mm -hmm. Because money and the 
it can be very deceiving when you have that managerial position of a bank. You're making some really good money and then you lose it. You have mortgages, you have debt, mm-hmm. your children need to go to school. So for me, a lot of what I see from my parents and even from what I'm exposed to, because even them when they're working, you realize the whole, like people like to talk about corruption in our country, but it's so ingrained into the small things. So even them when they're applying for jobs or my mom has her catering and someone is like, give me a bit of money so I can secure that tender for you. Like you're really exposed to what happens outside when you're not in school and when you have to help them. So because I see that and because I see what they're going through, I'm trying to prevent it as early as possible for myself. My thoughts are life after graduation is definitely an evolution of who I am as a person in terms of how do I interact with people, how do I maintain my responsibilities, how do I maintain my life in general. So I do see life as university as I want to graduate already having my projects, already doing something. I don't want to be those people who wait for graduation and then start sending job application because I see my dad's experience and I know that doesn't work. So my vision for life after graduation is I think your life doesn't start after graduation. I think it starts the moment you enter university because that's the moment you're making your decisions. That's the moment you're actually like crafting who you're going to be. And by the time you're graduating, it should more be like when you're taking that photo, when your name is being called out, it's supposed to be a reflective moment for you. Like you see what you've gone to because honestly, university wasn't made for people to get a job. Mm -hmm. University was made to give people knowledge. When people even started university as a whole, the whole academics, it wasn't for do this to get a job. It was more for knowledge. I feel like by the time I reach that point, I want my life to already started. My journey into developing my career to already started. I think it, that moment post-graduation just means less studies mm-hmm. and less Tom Papers reports and ETC. But I don't think it should be. I, I'm not expecting to wait on a job. Catch our next African stories in the next episode. The thing about recording 100 African stories is, yes, I may send story prompts to help somebody zero in on a particular story before the recording happens. But I never know what story exactly they're going to share But I always feel more connected to the person after they share the story. I feel like I learned something. I feel inspired. I feel like I have a different window into the human experience. And Michelle's story, to be quite frank, and you can sense it even from her voice and the energy from her. But if you met her, and this is what I told her afterward, is that I'm not worried about her because that kind of drive always succeeds and it might take long because there's certain lessons that must be learned or it's just not the right time for certain things to happen but it will happen nonetheless especially when somebody's as driven as she is and she's 19 and she's a freshman like i remember when i was a freshman i like now i just feel so stupid as a freshman because i was not cognizant of the issues people around me were going through. So yes, as I said earlier, there were things that I was battling, but I didn't try and find out what people around me were battling. And maybe yes, I was their age mate and I didn't have the solutions or whatever, but just a sounding board for somebody can go a long way. Sometimes we get so caught up in our own world that we forget people are also experiencing challenges and issues in their own worlds as well yeah this story is definitely one of those that um really struck a chord with me
Remember, you can join our Instagram tribe. Atacama, they've taken away the likes. It's all right. We're there because we just love the community that we're building as Legally Clueless. Um, if you haven't um, followed the page, I was going to say liked the page. Is it liked? No, it's follow. If you haven't followed the page, go on to Instagram and search Legally Clueless Podcast. And I will catch you again next week. And that's it for this episode of Legally Clueless. You can share this podcast with your friends. You can keep it for yourself. I'm not judging. Just make sure you're here next week for the next episode.